Will you turn with me in God's word to that ninth chapter of the book of Numbers? I remember some years ago now, I was very much moved of the Holy Spirit of God to prepare and preach a sermon from Acts chapter 20 in verses 17 to 38, where we have the parting counsel of the Apostle Paul to the elders that were met together at Miletus. You remember the Apostle Paul had exercised quite a ministry in Ephesus. The church had been established. Elders had been established. And they now had the responsibility for the spiritual care of all these converts. And the Apostle Paul reminded them of his ministry during those years in Ephesus. How that night and day with tears he had preached the word of God amongst them and he spoke of preaching the whole counsel of God what is the whole counsel of God it's every aspect of biblical truth about the person and nature of God about the, the fall and the consequences of the fall of the way of salvation of the church how the church is to be established and how it is to be governed and overseen. And I made the point that we were to preach the whole counsel of God, we were to preach the whole body of doctrine from the whole body of scripture. How important it is for us to read the whole of God's word. And I have to confess that I have not preached as much of the Old Testament as I should over Oh, well over 50 years of preaching the word of God. Very thankful as a teenager, as I remembered, as I mentioned this morning, I was converted as a teenager. And uh, there in North Devon with others, uh, we had the blessed ministry of the late uh, Pastor Alfred Mendham, who's now in glory, and a retired minister, uh, Dr. John Wilmot, was also in the glory. And as teenagers and the rest of the congregation, we were blessed with the preaching of God's word, both New Testament and Old Testament scriptures. And one of the things I found with the ministry of these two men was not only did they teach me doctrine and truth, but they helped me by their preaching to read the Bible for myself. I listened to their preaching. I found out how they came to these doctrines and truths and their applications by their careful reading and exposition of the word of God. You remember how that the uh, Apostle Paul, at the end of his ministry, he writes that letter, the second letter to Timothy. It's his last letter that he writes. And uh, in that third chapter, he speaks about the importance of the word of God. He reminds Timothy that as a child, in the third chapter in verse 15, that from a child, he has known the holy scriptures, which are wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he comes out with that well-known statement, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. It distresses me in these days, in this uh, 21st century, in these days of what is called contemporary evangelicalism, that we have people that are talking about new ways 
of understanding God when there is one way, and that is through the word of God, through reading the scriptures with the help of God, the Holy Spirit, and giving ourselves to the private reading of God's word, the public reading and the public preaching and teaching of the word of God. As Paul says in that passage, he says that all scripture is given and all scripture is profitable. Not just the four gospels and the acts and the epistles and the book of Revelation, but the whole of the Bible, from the first word in Genesis to the last word in Revelation. And how we find so often that when we read the the Gospels and particularly the epistles, both of Paul and Peter, how often we find that the Holy Spirit, as they are setting before us the wonderful doctrines of the grace of God to sinners, that again and again and again, they are referring to the Old Testament scriptures. Because these men of God in the Old Testament, Moses and Isaiah and Jeremiah, As Peter tells us, they wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit of God. And so I want us this evening to look together at a message that came to me as I was reading the book of Numbers and the first 14 verses of the book of Numbers. It has to deal with the first Passover that was observed by the Hebrew children after they had come out of the bondage of Egypt. A year before, they had celebrated the Passover, you remember, that night before the Exodus, when the blood of the sacrificial lambs was spread over the lintel of their doors and on their doorposts, so that when the angel of death passed through Egypt that night, their firstborn would be protected from death and judgment. That's why it was called the Passover. The blood caused the angel of death to pass them by. And those within, the firstborn, were saved. But the Passover was not only uh, that of the saving of the firstborn that night, but it was also the celebration of what was going to happen the following day when the Hebrew children came out of Egypt in their hundreds of thousands with their flocks and with their herds and with many other things and left Egypt, left the bondage of Egypt. A year has passed by. And now they're in the second year. And the Lord says the Passover is to be kept again. On the 14th day of the first month of the second year. They are to remember. They are not to forget God's grace and mercy. Doesn't it strike us when we read those books of Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. How often. The Hebrew children in the wilderness forgot God's love and grace and mercy towards them. They were the ones who cried out to God that he would send a deliverer. And you remember how Moses was sent back to Egypt to deliver them out of the bondage of Egypt. And yet there in the wilderness, some of them were complaining. Oh, we had this and that in Egypt. Oh, that we could go back to Egypt. Oh, that we had this and that. And there was such ingratitude towards the Lord God. They had forgotten his mercy and his grace. And the Lord gave them the Passover feast as an annual reminder of his goodness towards them. His goodness towards them. They had unleavened bread because the exodus was quick. They had no time for it to be leavened. 
They were to eat it with bitter herbs. The bitter herbs were to remind them of the bitter bondage they had after the death of Joseph. You know, while Joseph was alive in Egypt, all went well. But after Joseph died, the new Pharaoh forgot all about the Hebrew children. And there was wickedness and cruelness upon these people. And they cried out to God. And so the Passover was to be an annual reminder of God's goodness towards them. In the same way also we have the Lord's Supper. I remember as a young convert, I was 15 and a half uh, when I was converted. I was 16 when I was baptized and sat down at the Lord's table. And dear Pastor Mendham said, this do in remembrance of me. And me in my foolishness thought to myself, well, however could I forget that the Lord saved me? But as I examined my heart over the years, how easy it is for us a day or a week to forget the Lord's goodness and grace to us in our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. That's why this morning we were gathered around the Lord's table here at Billinghay and we remembered the Lord in the breaking of bread and the sharing of the cup. The Lord knows our hearts better than ourselves. This do in remembrance of me. And there had to be care and attention paid to the Passover as there is to the Lord's Supper. It's not likely to be done. If you read through this passage, as we've read through it, these first 14 verses, uh, Moses didn't have his own ideas about the Passover. It wasn't uh, God's work in Moses' way or man's way. It was God's work in God's way. And when he was asked questions, Moses went to the Lord and he waited upon the Lord for the answers, how this was to be done, how these things were to be carried out. Oh, dear friends, how important that is, always to search the scriptures, to be sure that what we are doing is biblical, that we are following the instructions that the Lord has laid down carefully for us. I may have said this before, when you get older, you, you repeat yourself. But uh, I never heard a sermon in my life preached on believer's baptism before I was convicted of needing to be baptized as a believer by immersion. Yes, my parents had me sprinkled as an infant because the doctors said I was going to die. And if I was going to be in heaven, I needed to be uh, baptized. But I, as I was converted at 15 and a half, uh, I, I thought... As I read the Bible for myself, I saw baptism of believers, that those who believed in Jesus and repented of their sin were baptized. And the first time I went to Barnstable Baptist Church as a convert, because I wasn't converted there, I was converted away on holiday. First time I went, I said to Pastor Mendham, in my enthusiasm, I want to be baptized. And the very wise man said, well, I want you to wait. He kept me waiting for six months. And that was wise, because he wanted to look at my life. He wanted to see whether there was a true work of grace in my life, whether the profession of faith and repentance was evident. And that's important, isn't it? John the Baptist did that, didn't he? Quite a number came to him and asked for baptism, and he said, bring forth evidence of repentance. I hear what you say, but I don't see the change in your life. And we were thinking about that this morning, weren't we, in John chapter 8. How anybody can make a decision for Jesus, but being a disciple of Jesus is a quite a different thing. It's not just an intellectual assent to truth. It is a whole change of direction in 
our lives. And so we find here that Moses seeks the Lord's face with regard to the Passover. There were times in the history of God's people because of apostasy and, uh, and persecution that the Passover wasn't kept. In Joshua chapter 5 and verse 10, the Passover is observed in the land of promise on the plains of Jericho. In the days of Hezekiah, when there had been difficulties in 2 Chronicles chapter 30 in the first 27 verses, we read of the Passover being observed in King Hezekiah's day on the 14th day of the second month. They had been prevented, as we will learn from this chapter, from observing it on the, first, the 14th day of the first month. And then in 2 Chronicles 35 and the first 19 verses where we read of that wonderful king, Josiah, we read of the Passover being observed. Well, I want us this evening to look at this, this passage. And it teaches us a lot. And the title for my sermon is this, The Observance and the Neglect of the Means of Grace. The Observance and the Neglect of the Means of Grace. Of grace. The Passover was a means of grace. It was a reminder annually of how God had wonderfully, with a strong arm, brought them out of Egypt. The Lord's Supper was to be observed when the church came together. It was to be a reminder of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord's Supper is what we call a means of grace. It reminds us of, of, of God's goodness and kindness. Oh, that I might uh, always partake of the Lord's Supper as I did the first time I did as a teenager. There were tears in my eyes the first time. Oh, that we might never forget the wonder of God's grace to us as sinners. But I also, as we look at this passage, want to apply some of the principles to another means of grace, the Sabbath day, the Lord's day. Firstly, the ordinance to be observed numbers nine and the first five verses and we read these words now the lord spoke to moses in the wilderness of sinai in the first month of the second year after they came out of the land of egypt saying let the children of israel keep the passover at its appointed time on the 14th day of this month at twilight you shall keep it at its appointed time According to all its rites and ceremonies, you shall keep it. So Moses told the children of Israel that they should keep the Passover. And they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month at twilight in the wilderness of Sinai. According to all that the Lord commanded to Moses, so the children of Israel did. We see here the ordinance of the Passover observed by these people. A year had passed since they had been delivered from Egypt. Maybe some of them still had the physical scars of the bondage of Egypt upon them. The scars had been beaten by the Egyptian soldiers and guards and the problems that they had. They still, and they could remember what it had been like to be there in Egypt when uh, Pharaoh had ordered that straw should be taken away. They should find the straw for themselves, but they should still have the same amount of bricks to build with. And oh, what a wonderful deliverance that was. How important it was for them to remember God's goodness and kindness 
towards them. Dear friends, that is true, as I've said, of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is given to us that we should remember the cost of our salvation, that his body was broken for us, that his blood was shed for us. We do this in remembrance of him, and we do this until the Lord comes again. The Lord's Supper doesn't only point back to Calvary, but it points us forward to that day when the heavens were opened and the Lord Jesus Christ will come again. It was a wonderful means of grace to them, the Passover. The Lord's Supper is a wonderful means of grace to us. So is the Sabbath day. It's part of the moral law of God in the Ten Commandments. We, we read about it in Exodus chapter 20. It's the fourth of Ten Commandments that the Lord gave. But it doesn't begin there in the Ten Commandments. It begins right back in Genesis 1 and 2. In Genesis chapter 2, at the beginning, we read that God in six days had created all things. And on the seventh day, he rested from his work of creation and he sanctified it. Just before the statement in uh, the opening verses of Genesis 2, at the end of Genesis 1, we have those statements how God promises out of creation to give ample food for the whole of his creation for generations to come. God's gracious provision through his common grace to all the sons of men, to every man, woman, and child. There at creation, he, he promised to provide food. But you say, oh, well, what about the millions that go hungry tonight? Why is that? Because of the fall in Adam. Because of the depravity of man. I heard yesterday one of the American... Uh, politicians who's been to Ukraine and, and talked with the president of Ukraine and he has come back and uh, in his description of what is happening in Ukraine, he used that word depravity, the depravity of man. It is because of the depravity of man that millions tonight will go to bed hungry without food. God has provided enough food in all the world for all to be fed. But because of the sinfulness and the selfishness of men, men go hungry. But God has given us one day in seven when we can more especially thank him and praise him for his wonderful provision for us. The Sabbath day was a, a, a weekly reminder of God's promise to provide all our daily needs. And of course, it meant more than that when we come to the New Testament, uh, when the Lord Jesus Christ rose again on the first day of the week. It became not the Sabbath, the sixth day, but the first day of the week. It became that day when the Lord's people remembered how that the Lord Jesus Christ not only died for our sins, but rose again for our justification. What a wonderful day is the Lord's day. God has given us six days in the week to do all that is necessary, but he has set apart one day, more especially, that people might acknowledge his goodness to them in common grace, and those of us who are Christians, in special grace. You know, the Lord's Day is not just for the Lord's people. The Sabbath day, the fourth commandment, is not just for the Lord's people. It is binding upon the whole of creation. Every communist, every Muslim, every Buddhist, every Hindu, 
every Protestant, every Catholic, every atheist, all such people eat of the food of God's common grace day by day. And is it too much for God to ask that in one day in seven we come together and we thank him for his grace and for his mercy? So the ordinance is to be observed. The ordinance of the Passover, the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, the ordinance of the Sabbath and the Lord's Day. But secondly, I find in this passage that the concern that was shared In verses 6 and 7, we read these words. Now, there were certain men who were defiled by a human corpse so that they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and Aaron that day. And those men said to him, we became defiled by a human corpse. Why are we kept from presenting an offering of the Lord at its appointed time among the children of Israel? These men... uh, had a concern and they shared their concern with Moses it it grieved them they were obedient to the ceremonial law of God in in the numbers 19 11 we're told he who touches a dead body of anyone shall be unclean seven days he said we of necessity have had to touch this corpse this dead person and therefore we're not able to enjoy this Passover on the 14th day of the first month we're being deprived from that blessing and they come and they they share this with Moses and Moses doesn't reply to them from the top of his head he seeks the Lord's face and what a gracious reply comes from the Lord in verse 8 we read and Moses said to them stand still that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If any one of you or your prosperity is unclean because of a corpse or is far away on a journey, he may still keep the Lord's Passover. On the 14th day of the second month at twilight, they may keep it. Oh, how merciful God is. These men of necessity had had to touch this dead body. Maybe they had been ministering to a person or persons who were very sick and caring for them in their last days and hours. Maybe they had been responsible for taking care of the body and burying the body. We've been touched, haven't we, in in the last weeks or so. We've had reports from Ukraine of uh, neighbours having to bury their neighbours in their gardens, taking care of the dead bodies that have been left by the Russians on the road, just Push to one side. You imagine that. Having to take care of the dead body of your family or, or your neighbours. And, and in that sort of situation. And these uh, Hebrews, they said, well, we can't come to the Passover at the appointed time on the 14th day of the first month. Because we are unclean. Because the ceremonial law says we are unclean. And God said to them, I understand. And I understand your adherence to the word of God. So therefore, on the 14th day of the second month, you can keep that same observance of the Passover in exactly the same way. There is no difference. It goes into detail. It goes on in that verse to speak about the details. It's not to be changed in any way. But there we see God making a wonderful provision for acts of mercy and necessity. We can apply that to the 
to the Sabbath day, can't we? To the Lord's day. God calls us, calls some of us, from time to time on the Lord's day or the Sabbath day to be involved in works of mercy and necessity. I remember when I worked for the Lord's Day Observance Society uh, going to speak at a university uh, Christian union and I'd been told uh, by those who know that if you want to get the attention of students you say something outrageous. So it had been advertised that this John Diggle was coming from the Lord's Day Observance Society to speak to them. So I stood up, I was introduced, stood up and said, now I said, I want to encourage some of you here tonight to seriously consider working on Sundays and on the Lord's Day. I said, some of you as Christians may have to deny yourselves the Lord's Day by being doctors of medicine or being nurses or pharmacists or firemen or policemen or other works of mercy and necessity. Oh, dear friends, how important that is. Do you remember how the scribes and Pharisees, and sadly in so many churches today, so-called reformed churches today, they're nothing short of being scribes and Pharisees. Do you remember how they criticized Jesus for healing the sick on the Sabbath day? And he said to them, well, if you had a sheep that fell into a pit on the Sabbath day, you'd lift him out. And a man's more important than a sheep. And Jesus spoke about works of mercy and necessity how important that is for us to remember the lord's concern the concern that was shared by these men we've had to in obedience to the ceremonial law we've had to touch a dead body that keeps us from observing the passover on the first day of the month the lord says i understand and it delights my heart that you desire to keep my passover but you can't do it when the others are keeping so on the second on the 14th day of the second month you can keep it Oh, dear friends, we must always remember those on the Lord's day who through works of mercy and necessity are kept from the Lord's house. It's not every Lord's day. I work for 13 and a half years in the National Health Service and I think it would be once a month I was on duty in the care of patients on the Lord's day. I wanted to be in God's house, but God had called me to that work. And once a month for a whole day I would be on a Lord's Day caring for the sick, caring for patients. And how wonderfully in the providence of God he gave me opportunities. Particularly when the patient was a Christian. You see the Bible there and you see the sadness that they couldn't be in church on the Lord's Day. and It would lead to conversation about our mutual faith and they wouldn't let me go until I had a word of prayer with them or even read the word of God with them. Oh dear friends, some of some of God's children, some brothers and sisters in Christ are called to works of mercy and necessity and we must pray for them. Just as we pray for the preacher on the Lord's Day, we should pray for those who through works of mercy and necessity are kept from the Lord's house, that the Lord will bless them in their hearts and in their lives. Well, let me move on. Thirdly, the neglect that was marked, the neglect that was marked. You see this in verse 13. But the man who is clean and is not on a journey and ceases to keep the Passover, that same person shall be cut off from among his people because he did not bring the offering of the Lord at its appointed time. That man shall bear his sin. See the situation here? 
Oh, the Lord's made an exception to those who have touched a dead body and those who have been on a journey. But the exception, because of works of mercy and necessity, are not a get-out clause for everybody to ignore the Passover of the Lord or to ignore the Sabbath day. Those who have every opportunity for being in the house of God and those who have every opportunity of observing the Passover are to do the same. And what a serious judgment. Numbers 9.13, that man shall bear his sin. Oh, dear friends, the Lord Jesus, if you read Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, as was his custom, went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And dear friends, that must be our custom. When we are not called to works of mercy and necessity, we must be in the house of God. And when the invitation is given to come to the Lord's table, we must come to the Lord's table. It's a serious thing to abuse the means of grace. We read about it a bit later in the book of Numbers in chapter 15 and verses 32 to 36 where there was this man who went out on the Sabbath day and gathered sticks and he was stoned to death for his sin against the Lord people say that's harsh no it isn't because if you look at the context of that passage the man was told very clearly not to do that very thing but he said who's the Lord I'll do what I like. I'll go and gather some sticks. It's my life. It's my day. I will do with it as I please. And God's judgment fell upon that man. Oh, dear friends, the neglect of the Lord's day is a serious, serious thing. Matthew Henry in his commentary, and if you have Matthew Henry's commentary and he wants to get a better exposition, better exposition this evening than what I've given on Numbers 9, 1 to 14. Go home and read. If you have Matthew's unabridged commentary on Numbers, it's absolutely excellent. And talking about this uh, 13th verse and this man's behaviour, he says, such is an affront to God. Such is an affront to God. Be not deceived, says Matthew Henry. God is not mocked. Oh, dear friends, what a joy is the Lord's day, the Sabbath day. What a joy it is. Yes, we keep it because God has commanded it in the fourth commandment. But it's more than that. It's because we love the Lord. We love his word. I'm saying to our friends here who entertain me today, uh, in my pastorate in Chesterfield at Bethel Chapel, I had a dear lady. Uh, she was in her 90s. Mrs. Sketchley, she's gone to glory now. She used to say to me, she was there morning and evening on the Lord's Day. She was there at the midweek Bible study and prayer meeting. She used to say to me, kept saying to me, Oh, pastor, if only every day could be the Lord's Day. I said, I don't think I could prepare that number of sermons. But there was that hunger for the word of God. And there's something seriously wrong in our day and generation where only one service is enough on the Lord's Day. Now I know there are some people because of infirmity and age are not able to be at both services. I understand that. But where people are fit and able and free, their desire should be to come to the Lord's house. When I, when I was first converted, I, I mean, when I, it, I didn't say on a Sunday, oh, it's the fourth commandment, I must go to church. 
I, you couldn't keep me away. I said, hunger for the word of God. And my friend, if only once on Sunday is, is enough, there's something seriously long with your Christian life and profession. The neglect that was marked. But then fourthly and lastly, from judgment we turn to mercy. That's wonderful. Uh, I think it's Thomas Watson who says the Puritan. He says, God is more inclinable to mercy than wrath. Mercy is his darling attribute in which he delights to use. And we find this so often in the word of God. That in one verse God is talking about his wrath. But in the next he goes to turn to talk about his mercy. And in verse 14 we have the wide compass of God's mercy. And if a stranger dwells among you and would keep the Lord's Passover, he must do so according to the rite of the Passover, according to its ceremony. You shall have one ordinance, both for the stranger and the native of the land. Isn't that wonderful? One ordinance, one observance, both for the Hebrew and the non-Hebrew. When he talks about the stranger, he's talking, Matthew Henry says, about the proselyte. Is the one who has come to the faith of God's people. And there were many like that in the Old Testament, weren't there? There was Rahab of Jericho. There was Ruth. There was a Roman centurion who, who Jesus said, as I've already said, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. There was um, Lydia of Thyatira who came to Philippi, who came to know the Lord, whose heart the Lord opened. The wide compass of God's mercy. God only has one church. He doesn't have a Baptist church or a Presbyterian church or an Anglican church or a Elam church. He has one church, the church of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, of which all true believers who are born again of the Spirit are members. It's not to be decided by culture. I think the whole idea of the Church of England is wrong, just as the Church of Scotland is wrong, as the Church of Wales is wrong. The Church in England, that's okay, or the Church in Scotland, that's okay. But it's a, a, a great problem when culture enters into the life of the Church. And so often in the past in Church history, because we tend to romanticise the past, don't we? But when we look back in Church history... And we look back at, at, at pioneer missionaries. Often there was that danger of bringing people to accept an English culture or a Welsh culture or a Scottish culture. No, what we are doing is bringing to people to a saving faith in our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. You shall have one ordinance both for the stranger and for the native of the land. Isn't that wonderful? The wonderful unity yet diversity of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the greatest experiences I've had in my whole Christian life was at a Christian conference where I sat down at a meal table with Christian Jews and Christian Arabs. In the world they were each other's throats, but these men and women, both Jews and Arabs, had been converted by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and it was their faith their new birth in Christ that join them together as one, sharing in the same meal. 
Oh, dear friends, the universality of the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, a multitude which no man can number from every nation and kindred and tribe and tongue. It's a wonderful thing what diversity brings to the church. We've seen it in our church in Sheffield. We've seen it in recent years. We've seen people coming from Eastern Europe and from Iran and from different parts of Africa. And they come with their different cultures and their backgrounds and they put up with us English people. But what a, how they've enriched the fellowship of God's people. And that's what's going to be on that last day. In, in uh, Revelation 19, we read of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Of that multitude which no man can number from every nation and kindred and tribe and tongue. Dear friends. Oh, dear friends, let us ever remember the wideness of God's mercy. The gospel for, is all, for all types and conditions of men and women. For all types and conditions in in uh, Bill and Hay and the surrounding community. We are to reach out to all people, regardless of the language they speak or the customs that they have. Uh, the gospel is for all men and women, and we are to share it in that way. Oh, dear, dear friends, there is a Sabbath day to come, isn't there, when the Lord comes again. The writer to the Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 9, and it's put very well in the Amplified Bible that ex expounds the Greek much better. So then, there is still a waiting of full and complete Sabbath rest reserved for the true people of God. Every Lord's Day should be a foretaste of that great day to come when the Lord will come again. Every Lord's Supper, we do this until he comes. This Lord's Supper that we observed this morning should be pointing us forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb. What a great day that will be. I don't know about you, but in the last couple of months as we've seen the terrible things that have been happening in Eastern Europe and what's been happening, my heart longs for the coming again of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that new heavens and that new earth, the home of righteousness. As I, I don't know about you, but as I've talked with men and women in the world, and, and, and it's really moved men and women in the world, hasn't it? You see the fear in their eyes and in their conversation. Men and women are frightened because they don't like, know like you and I the true and living God. And we know that our times are in the Lord's hands. Everything is in his control. And we look forward to that better day to come. Oh, dear friends, there yet remains a Sabbath rest to the true people of God. Oh, dear friends, let us take this, these verses in Numbers seriously this evening, where we read of the observance and neglect of the means of grace. Let us ever cherish God's means of grace for us as his people. Amen. Let's close this evening by singing of that wonderful unity that we have in Christ. 346, blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. 346.